This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Paraswap and Public.com. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Schramm, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to truly understand how this movement came to be. And as we're, we're going through this crazy world, uh, uh, this whole socioeconomic change that we're going through where you have traditional assets and digital assets all being bridged together. The whole world is talking about uh, the resurgence of DAOs. You know, we had the DAO back in 2016, uh, where we had hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, going into a decentralized autonomous organization that can make decisions on behalf of the organization through smart contracts. It got hacked within weeks. And since then, we've seen DAOs actually renamed as things like NFTs and DeFi, et cetera, et cetera. But they're very limited in scope on what they can do. And one of the biggest problems that we have today, and no one really realizes how centralized uh, this, this part of, of crypto is, uh, is oracles. And essentially where data comes from and how it's transferred across different chains and how we do price feeds and data feeds. Uh, if that doesn't happen, if we can't get to full decentralization of oracles, then we can't get to things like your city or your country, your, the justice system being on chain. You talk about you know, regulating the regulators. That can't be on chain until we have decentralized oracles. Mortgage NFTs, we can't have that and we have, until we have decentralized oracles. Today, to talk to us about this problem and how we're going to solve it is Dave Connor. Dave, thank you so much. You are the founder of API3. It's like the best name for a company, too because it perfectly describes what you are doing. You know, we have Web 2.0, Web Web 2.0, we have all the APIs, and then we have Web 3.0, and API 3 is going to be such an integral part of that. And tell us why. Um, thanks for having me on, Charlie. It's great to be on the show. Um, API 3 is a project that's designed in a way that can help overcome some of the problems faced by previous Oracle projects. And the ultimate goal is to have as many APIs available on Web 3 as possible, and to create truly decentralized products around them. So the first thing that we've done to create a product that allows true decentralization is we've built everything as a DAO. So the, the central thesis around this is that in order for true decentralization to be achieved, you have to decentralize the governance layer as well. If you have a project that provides data feeds, but the project is opaquely governed by a team and you have no oversight over the decisions that they're making, then all that's happened is the point of decentralization or the point of centralization has been shifted from the Oracle putting data on chain to the project who governs the Oracle's putting data on chain. And you're, you're in effect letting them say, well, we accept these Oracles are going to be feeding data on, into a data feed. We have control over that. They could kick all the Oracles off if they wanted and put their own Oracle on and put whatever data they want on. So we're trying to build away from having this idea that you have a single point of failure. So, and, and the first step there is having all the governance done on chain, having it done in a transparent way, having the right kind of monetary incentives around backing that as well, which I think is key. And that's kind of the whole idea that underpins blockchain. Rational economic actors should always act in a way that's, um, that makes sense. And if you design your protocol around that, then everything should work. Are we going towards a world where even data sources and how the data sources are amalgamated into like a single API through a decentralized mechanism, is that where we're going towards? Is that the world we're looking at in the future? 
That's a good question. I, I hope so, is the answer. And my thesis for data and blockchain is like, if you look at blockchain, and this is ignoring the privacy chains, um, if you look at blockchain, everything's transparent. So you can see the transactions that are made from account to account. If it's UTXO based, you can even follow even further. You can see the code that's being executed. You can see the inputs. You can see the outputs. If people use off-chain data, you can see the numbers that are being used there. But once you take it back to the world where you have the real world interfacing with the blockchain, a lot of that traceability just stops with current solutions. So as well as the centralized governance, you, have, you can see that a value comes from an off-chain aggregation. And there's no transparency beyond that. That, that data could all be web-scraped by a 13-year-old in the basement, and you'd have no oversight over that. So we think part of making data accessible to blockchain applications is making it so you can see exactly where everything's come from and trace it all back. And then you're not trusting um, a protocol that has strange governance to just be doing the right thing. You can see exactly where data comes from. You can verify that yourself. And you can see the governance logic that's gone into what data points are being used. So it's basically trying to make the off-chain world make as much sense as blockchain does. What type of data are we talking about here? Who, who are your clients and what are they using it for? So we've been around for about a year. We're a newer project than some of the other Oracle solutions. So currently we're building, um, we've built an Oracle that's able to be run by the data providers themselves, which means that you can be a standard API provider providing real world data to, like, for example, weather providers who provide data to Coca-Cola. We have people like FTX, people like Deribit, who are pretty well regarded um, on chain or yeah. off chain exchanges who give very good crypto asset data. We have market makers, we have shipping data, we have telecoms data, lots of different things. And the, the aim of providing an Oracle that lets them run the Oracle themselves is to take out the need to have party node operator. And this is kind of the main thrust and what we've been doing so far is getting this kind of data on chain. And you might ask, why, why don't you want to have a third party node operator? And the answer is that the previous Oracle projects have approached the Oracle problem from the point of view of decentralizing a third party node layer. And the Oracle problem is that if you have somebody putting data on chain, you don't want to trust a single third party to relay the data from the actual data provider, the data source, to the blockchain itself. But if you remove the need for a third party layer, if you have the data provider pushing data directly to on-chain, you have something that much more approaches the kind of the traditional Web2 API world where data is queried directly and returned directly. So and that's, that's what we've done so far. So our existing product is the availability of these APIs across about 10, 15 different blockchains. And we have over 150 different API providers as well. That is, that is so cool. I mean, are we talking about something like are we talking about data that I could provide? Are we talking about um, data? Could could a random person join a network of weather reporters to Coca-Cola? Um, so these are existing real-world data providers. And anybody could be become a data provider. But ideally, you'd need to have a business around providing data first. Because otherwise, why would people use your service on Web3? And I'm not saying that they wouldn't. If you well, started up an exchange and you decided, well, I'm going to open up the prices here as an endpoint, as an API, and provide that to Web3, they'd probably be really interested. Well, I'm just thinking of an example of where you're looking at like decentralized economic data of a specific country. For example, 
How many containers are living are leaving the port of Shanghai every day? We trust that government. Do we trust the Chinese government's data on that? How many containers are leaving? Simple question. But what if you had thousands of decentralized Chinese citizens who are reporting on that, who are literally going to the port, maybe taking their own security at risk, reporting on how many leave? I don't know how this would be possible. I'm just kind of come up with this in my, you know. And then you have to make sure that 51 percent are honest and are telling the truth. And then whose data do you trust? in that instance? And is that type of like real world application? Because as you can see, I'm getting towards like a world where everything uh, is governed and run by these like smart contracts and and decentralized organizations. Yeah, something like that would be a really interesting use case. It's um, because we're trying to focus on a very small subset of all the different ways people can bring data on chain. So the kind of crowdsourced data set is maybe more of an auger, Kleros, um, option room, type okay. use case. We, we focus on really making it so people with existing APIs can put that across a lot of the different blockchains. And then the DAO itself is also building products out of it, that kind of data. So the way it would work with your kind of use case is either we would speak to another blockchain protocol who are incentivizing people to provide that data. And then if they can output that data in the form that could be, or if they can output that data in API form, we can then help them scale across blockchains. So you would have this API being the result of the correctly economically incentivized crowdsourced data. And that then could be used by any of the different blockchains we've deployed Airnode on, which is our Oracle. And then they could make money by selling that data. So there's still a way that we can interface with it, but it wouldn't be at the data collection layer itself. It would be using a more dedicated protocol for that. You know, we, we know this, this whole Bitcoin and crypto thing is an experiment. It's a 10-year-old experiment. And it's a social experiment at that. In you know, non-fiat money, how do you create digital value and you have and then you have a lot of different, you know, economic indicators when it comes to distribution, decentralization, user, you know, user operability, interoperability, all these different metrics that make blockchains great or that when they die. I wonder if there's like data that we can gather about how people are using blockchains how people are using layer one solutions, why they are, and uh, kind of assess where the demand actually is and what we can build for the future. That's a really good question. I'm sure that the people you'd probably want for that are are the kind of APIs, or not really APIs, the kind of services like the graph, like Covalent, where they have access to the, the kind of blockchain native data. And then you'd want something, or maybe actually made more of a Nansen or June Analytics, where you could then yeah. feed that into some kind of software. Well, um, the... I, I actually think that kind of project is something that people are really looking at now, though. There's people well, like... Well, what I'm thinking um, is... Uh... Cred... No, sorry, you're thinking... Sorry, what? Because... Yeah, Credmark spring to mind as a project that uh, they originally were doing blockchain-based credit scoring. So they'd look at an Ethereum address, and they'd then give you a credit score based on your previous on-chain activity. So... If you'd taken out a lot of loans and repaid them, then maybe you would get a higher loan for the same collateral in future. Um, and they've gone from that to becoming blockchain analytics, uh, where they're, they're looking into things in blockchain that people are interested in. And the initial shelling point for things like that almost is Uniswap analytics, because I think with yeah. Uniswap V3, a lot of people find that very unintuitive to understand and where they should be putting liquidity, how much liquidity they should put in, what spread they should have. And so there's a few different projects now that are starting to come up with strategies for people to do that. And I can see 
that aspect where people have an analytics company, they, they incentivize people to, to crunch the data and to bring this information to people in a way they can understand. I can see projects like that being, being used, well, being used by people. I mean, certainly we work with Predmark and a couple of others. This seems like a rabbit hole that you and I can go down that we're both very interested in, in these type of subjects. How did you get your start in, in crypto? I mean, like, why did you jump into this industry? Um, so I've been, I've been interested in crypto since 2013. I originally got into Dogecoin back then before it was cool. And it's been really interesting for me <laughs> watching it develop, not Dogecoin specifically, watching blockchain itself develop. Because I remember when I got into it, it was really only um, numbers on a ledger that could be transferred one person to another. Yeah. And then around about 2013, 2014, I might have my time slightly wrong on this. Um, somebody introduced colored coins for Bitcoin and forked that for Dogecoin. And that seemed like an interesting use case. And it was kind of the proto tokens that you see now. But then support for that was lost and it, it just, nothing really too happened early. with it. So, it's all too early. Yeah, There's yeah. so many things that we use now. Like we had NFTs on, I, I released NFTs on Bitcoin in 2016, but it's too early. Now they're collector's editions. I'm giving them away, but yeah, it's crazy. It's timing. Yeah, so it is weird. And watching it develop like that, seeing that fall off, I lost interest for a while. And then around about Ethereum, uh, once Ethereum started to get adopted, I started to look back into blockchain. And it, it seemed logical that going from decentralizing the, the ledger to decentralizing an execution layer was a really interesting development. But nobody could really do anything too cool with it. Um, you could build applications that see on-chain data. But for me, what, what was really interesting was around about 2017, when the first of the Oracle projects started gaining adoption. Because I, I've always been quite interested in tech, and looking at the possibility of building things using real-world APIs seemed to me to be the most exciting use case for blockchain. Because if you look at Web2's applications that you might have on your phone, and Uber's probably the best example, most applications that use at least one API, quite often multiple APIs, and they're knitted together in a way that gives this incredible functionality that you couldn't really achieve if you're trying to code it all on your own. And to me, the thing that blockchain was missing in order to have this rich suite of dApps that are available trustlessly to anyone in the world, it's not a problem with TPS. It wasn't really a problem with transaction costs. It's probably just that there aren't the API Legos available to actually build these applications. So Uber, as an example, is, is pretty much a location data API. It's a communications API, so you know where your Uber is. It's a payments API, so you can pay your Uber. Um, and it's a mapping API, so you can see where you are. And, and that's a kind of proto-basic Uber. And if you get these kind of Legos in, then people could build a replica of that on the blockchain. And so we, we've gone about this by trying to bring as many kinds of data in as possible. And we carry on doing this to try to make it so that app developers might want to switch to Web3, or DAP developers might want to build things that don't just use price data. So and the data needs to be there before they build it, really. Nobody's mm. going to build an application if they don't know how to get the data. Sorry to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming, but I wanted to tell you guys that if you're using PancakeSwap, Uniswap, DYDX, SushiSwap, you're doing it wrong. You need to be using PowerSwap because PowerSwap is a user interface, a decentralized smart contract platform that sits on top of all of these. And when you go to Paraswap or untoldstories.link forward slash Paraswap, because they're refunding your gas, if you go there, then you'll be able to, on top of Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, and Polygon, look for the best prices for your tokens and swap and do everything in one predefined transaction 
on chain instead of having to do the approval to this token to that token to do all these different things paraswap does it all for you it's decentralized they just released their api version 5 that you can see everything it's all open source very cool stuff untoldstories.link forward slash paraswap if you're using any of the other decentralized protocols you're doing it wrong because you need to be using the routing beautiful paraswap routing system and it's fully decentralized too it's gorgeous. I'll talk to you guys soon. We're all used to investing in different types of cryptos, and we know that you can buy as little as $1 worth of any coin or token, but you can't do the same thing with stocks, bonds, and ETFs and all those other like traditional assets. And then if you can, you can't do it all in the same place. Our newest sponsor, public.com. It's a super awesome community where they take your private your privacy seriously, and you can get in there and trade slices of crypto bitcoin all different coins and tokens and also stocks bonds etfs equities and it's all done in the same place what i love about it is that you have all these different investors you can connect with with all walks of life life gain confidence ask questions get the big picture with curated themes talk to everyone but they don't get involved in the order flow they're not selling your data to all these other middlemen and we got a very good special for you my listeners today if you go to public.com forward slash untold stories and you start investing with one dollar they're going to give you up to fifty dollars in a free stock a slice of a stock that's all you got to do download the app one dollar you get 50 bucks worth public.com forward slash untold stories valid for us residents 18 plus only subject to account approval and make sure you check out public.com forward slash disclosures there's no investment advice here these guys have been doing and amalgamating all of these different types of community stock bonds etfs cryptos all together make sure you check it all out public.com forward slash untold stories we're looking at like a decentralized uber as the current functionality but we're talking about uh, an Uber built on on a Web3 uh, using oracles and decentralized APIs. I mean, you're talking about the ability to have much more unlimited functionality uh, and just using that one, one example. And it's also how Uber would interact with other aspects of your life. For example, in a decentralized way, you can have the Uber unlock the front gate or let, if you live in a private community, let that, you know, it all can start interacting with each other. Uh, uh, on a constant basis. That's brilliant. Yeah, or you could even have, if you go back to smart cities, which is something people like talking about when it comes to blockchain, you could have a smart city that allows the Uber DAP to pay a certain amount of money for people to drive on certain toll roads that could be maybe gated so that you can have a way of the cities generating money from what would otherwise be a fairly permissionless protocol by giving it an advantage. But you could have... Um, the cars that exist being taxed based on their usage. If they're used in, say, Uber, then the car tax that people pay will be more because it's seen as a commercial use. It could all be done programmatically. There's really a lot that you can go, but, but the data has to be there first, I think. So are smart cities, data and taxes on chain, uh, DAOs. I mean, we're getting into, into really this like future utopia of, of things that'll be run. You're seeing 5G being set up in a lot of cities around the world and, and, and city coins are becoming a thing in, in Miami and in, in Texas too, um, where like a percentage of, of the mineable coin goes towards like the city's revenue. And now Miami is using like their $7 million in profit of their city coin to build like 20 schools or something like that. I just read it today. Uh, I actually read a great thing this morning. Uh, I was 
I came up with this idea, but someone else did it. It always, it always happens. It's such a, it's such a conceited thing to say, but I don't know. Basically, you were looking at NFTs the wrong way, and I feel like issuing an NFT as a token of your own debt is the way we should be looking at it. And I just saw a company this morning that I'm going to have on the show, but they essentially issue you uh, uh, your your mortgage becomes tokenized, and then you can take that mortgage and essentially pay it off and the value of the token becomes smaller. Really, really, instead of, so instead of the price go up, it's price go down in, in a way. Very, very cool things. I mean, what do you see as smart cities? What are we going to be running? What are the first iterations that, you know, our parents are going to be using DAOs for? First, our parents are going to be using DAOs for. My parents can barely use the TV. Yeah. Right? So I... If I'm honest, I'm not that optimistic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what are the first DAO iterations going to be? I, I, I think the first use case for DAOs were kind of the ones that the original DAO espoused, which is the, the very intuitive VC style DAO, where people buy in and then the DAO uses that buying power to buy stakes in other companies that people then split amongst themselves. But that's not, it's not really very exciting, um, but it is a very easy and intuitive thing for people to understand. Um, I, I personally yeah. see DAOs being used to govern a lot of on-chain protocols eventually, because I think people are realizing that in order to have this true decentralization, you need to not trust that the protocol your money is in is going to make a smart contract change and run off with it. And that can be done programmatically. So you could have a smart contract, for instance, that can never be upgraded. You can have a smart contract that has a weak timer before its upgrade goes through. And they're, they're code-based ways of doing it. But if you want there to be some more flexibility than that, especially rather than having a non-upgradable contract, then you need transparent governance. So I think that's where the DAO comes in, is creating a smart contract that not only works and makes sense now, but will also make sense in five, 10 years. So these initial protocols you see on chain now, if they're not DAO governed, then there has to be so much trust in the team to upgrade it and to keep it current that I think they're going to really struggle. Oh, so it's not just the one-time deployment of the contract, but it's the constant maintenance of the contract too, or whatever the application if you, is. If you plan on changing it, yeah. So, I, And there are some projects that have really interesting work around this. So Kleros, who I mentioned before, for instance, have a, a project called The Governor where any smart contract updates have to go through their own internal arbitration system before they're passed. So, And people can challenge that. And then if the challenge is correct and the person who wanted to upgrade the contract ends up losing a penalty stake they put in. So... There are interesting mechanisms around that. So you can make it so that you can have a continuously iterated protocol on chain that can adapt in response to the market and new things that change without losing the trustlessness that you have when that's governed by a single protocol with no oversight. You talk about this uh, paramedic insurance contract. What is that? So a parametric insurance contract is like where you have an insurance Oh, parametric, parametric, who, sorry. Yeah, I know I said paramedic. That's, that's fine. It's, it's almost the same. Uh, parametric insurance, it might actually be something completely different. So um, a parametric insurance com contract is a contract where you you tell the insurance company, um, or your insurance company says, I will insure you in the event that if this happens, and I will pay you this much money in the event that it happens, in the broadest sense possible. And the best thing about parametric insurance as a adapt use case is it actually adapts very nicely to blockchain. And one of the first products that I'm really aware of that a big insurance company did on blockchain was a parametric insurance product. So back in 2017, AXA launched Fizzy, 
which was parametric flight insurance. So I think it was only for a few routes within I Europe. I remember. But you could, yeah. So and it's really interesting. They launched talk about it when in will Berlin. Be adopted. And, yeah, it was adopted four, four years ago. <laughs> this is so but crazy. Funny- I use that as an example a lot of times to people. I was in Berlin when this guy launched it and he was showing real-time uh, flight insurance on Ethereum. And I was blown away because it was that day that I understood the future of smart contracts, like a like yeah. lit brain. Yeah, and the beauty of that contract is basically if X happens, then pay Y amount out, can be generalized to so many different things. And obviously you might want to tweak it slightly, but generally you could say, you could adapt that to be drought insurance for third world countries. So if there's no rain in this governable, like definable period, then you pay out an amount that covers the loss of crops and you have the cost to create that contract being an amount that the insurance company thinks will make it money over the long term or an NGO or a charity could do it so that it just covers the losses. So you could have a charitable way of doing it as well. This is a very scary road to go down because if we're talking about, uh, we're talking about a country that has uh, rain problems and instead of the government providing different type of resources or, or lending or insurance products or private companies that are regulated by that country or that government, we're talking about external or intra-organizations or DAOs that are protecting farmers, for example, against, you know, for drought insurance. Do you think governments would allow that? I mean, that's a whole nother ballgame. Could they stop it, is the question. No, so but it would be a very have... scary thing for them. Yeah, it, it might be. And I'd, I'd like to see this as being something that they don't just completely delegate all of that responsibility to. So it would be disappointing if this product arrived and then government stopped caring about drought because people could oh. insure against it. And I'm, hope, I'm hoping that wouldn't be the case. And this is a, just such a small subset of the things you could do with parametric insurance. Um, but yeah, as an example, it's one that I think is very useful because it makes insurance then available to everyone. So anybody can access this. You could have a huge farm in America and you could still take out this product. You could have a tiny farm in somewhere very drought prone and you could still take it out. And it would all be definable. And the DAO would not, so you wouldn't even need this to be DAO governed. You could have a, a conventional insurer because with the insurance company, a lot of the logic, they don't really want to be on chain because their secret source is their data and how they calculate risks. And that's how they make money. So a parametric insurance contract could be deployed by an existing insurer because in its simplest form, the contract itself is just if X happens, then pay Y. Because the payment is the trustless form. And, and the arbitration of whether the payment should be there or not is the trustless form. So the contract would, at the end of the contract, it would query an oracle that would check the weather-based API for the precipitation in that area, return a value, and that programmatically generates a payout if there's not been, or if there's been under a specified amount of rain. So, and the, the good thing here is like with Axel's example, None of that business logic had to be on chain with the flight insurer. It just created a contract that said, has this flight been delayed by more than two hours? If yes, pay this amount. If no, then not. And actually, the, the funny thing about Fizzy is that it was withdrawn because Axel lost money on it because it was too good. Mm. So it, they lost money because it was too easy to claim. And I think a lot of insurance companies, the claiming being hard is baked into their figures. So if you make it very easy to claim, then everybody claims because it's automatic. And as a result, insurers would need to recalculate their risk. Do insurance products work if the redemption is instant and trustless? Does insur- do insurance yeah, it, products work? Does the, does, do the numbers do make as sense? The premium is, as long as the premium is set for it. So for instance, if Fizzy itself didn't maybe work 
at that premium, if you increase the premium, there will be a point at which it works and people still take out insurance. For example, okay. theoretically, if you reduce it to absurdity, yeah. the premium is a million dollars, you're going to make money, but nobody's going to take it out. So there'll be a value where people will still take it out and each policy taken out is profitable. And in the meantime, maintaining that probably isn't isn't that big an expense. Although admittedly, I don't know much about but that. Look at that data so. that you're getting there. and That data of when humans would stop taking insurance over when they would automatically do it, that tipping point, that watershed, that is gold. I mean, that is gold data. You can, that is, that is valueless, valuable, I meant to say, not that, it's opposite. And, and yeah. that baked in, that is cool as shit. I think that is where yeah, and, uh, is the future here. I, I actually think some of the, like for Fizzy, I, I would have much preferred rather than them just ditching it, I would have loved to see them play around more with it. Or maybe have it as a value add for other things. If you would you buy a plane ticket that had cancellation or delay insurance built in? So you buy the plane ticket through someone like say Travala, who do cryptocurrency purchases for plane tickets and hotels. And if it's delayed by more than two hours, you automatically have your money refunded. And that's baked into the price of the flight. So basically the flight includes a premium like that. I think value add products like that would be relatively easy ways of getting more people involved, especially where the purchase is crypto-based. The do you remember in, in Miami a few months ago, the uh, Surfside condo collapse? A lot of people passed away. There was a, a collapse of a building. It was all over the news. And the biggest problem yeah. with that is it was the owners of, of the condos in the building were perfectly okay with paying assessments, homeowners dues. They were paying it. They were never not paying it. The problem came to the corruption and the graft that were involved in the homeowners association boards, the investors, the building owners, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that uh, DAOs, smart contracts, decentralized APIs could have a big play in the future of these type of homeowners associations because homeowners associations are the lowest, lowest form of local government that you can have, especially if you live in a place that has a homeowners association. You know, I live on an island with like 500 houses and there's a homeowners association that governs it. It's not a real government. It's a quasi-government agency where we elect our board. But the mayor is on our you know, quarterly meetings and will rubber stamp anything we want to do that relates to our island. However, we still rely on the cities for our bridges and roads. Through a decentralized smart contract, I could see our community coming together and creating a DAO that funds the roads and the bridges because it's not that we don't want to pay for it. But I don't trust the board to like manage who knows how to build roads, you know, and then the bidding process of who are the, the people involved. That whole thing is just filled with corruption and grafts. And this is human humanity that could be changed. Yeah, I agree. And that's that's kind of what I was saying earlier. What's the most likely first use case of DAOs? It's the grant giving DAO, the VC DAO. But instead of the VC giving grants to projects, you're you're having a homeowners association where the role is to give a grant to people who build roads and people who maintain bridges. And then everybody votes around what they think the grant should be. People have to pitch it honestly and transparently. So a builder would have to say, I want to maintain this road. I can do it well. Here are other roads I've maintained. These are the construction materials I plan to use. This is the costing for that. This is my day rate. That gives you this total value that I'm applying for the grant for. And then they apply for the grant and go on and do the work. And everything's transparent. People vote on if they think it's a realistic amount or not. People can say, well, actually, before the builder applied for a, a smaller grant to do my gals. driveway. And, and he didn't do it. So, yeah. So 
And this is it. So you can make it so everybody transparently discloses, well, not transparently discloses, transparently decides where the money is spent. And it, like the proto-DAO, the, the original DAO on Ethereum was that for VCs. But you can take that, you can make it a homeowners association, you can make it local governments. You, I suppose you probably need more people involved in the voting for that. Yeah. But homeowners association is a good example. Yeah, homeowners. I think I think that's what I really want to work on. Is I think these homeowner associations, even with like seven units, because the the scope of what they have to do, and then when you're out of scope is is very clearly defined. If you have like seven owners of a five acre piece of land, those seven owners, you know, their yearly maintenance assessments, governance, it's all kind of clearly defined. So it would be a great experiment to see. A homeowners association uh, kind of go fully on chain, even if it's just the d- reporting of data, even if things are still happening off chain, but it's like the reporting of data. So then in five years, they could go. I think that would be so freaking cool. Yeah. And I, I think actually there's starting to be legal recognition for DAOs now as well. So I, f- I think it might be Oregon. I could yes, be wrong. Yeah. There. Oregon and Wyoming too. Yeah. 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 So there, there are two places now where you can be a DAO as a legal entity, which is important because. DAOs also exist somewhat in the real world. And for instance, if you work for a DAO and you try and open a bank account, do anything that normal people would do, put a deposit down for a mortgage, um, apply for renting somewhere, they're going to ask you where your income comes from. And then try explaining to a, a bank that you exist, your company is a DAO that's based on Ethereum. And they glaze over and they have no idea what you're talking about. So being able to wrap the DAO in a legal entity gives you the advantages of having a DAO that's transparent and decentralized, while also having like a, a foot in the real world. So the people who work for the DAO or contract for the DAO, I guess is, is a more correct way of saying it. It's people who fulfill contracts or get grants from the DAO can point to a source of where it's from. And it's, it's part, I guess, of blockchain, making blockchain more friendly to people in the real world. Um, that's quite important. And that kind of legal recognition will speed up adoption, I'm sure. Your title at the company is DAO member of API3. Yeah, I take a very theoretical approach to this, which is that I should only give myself full title if I've proposed to the DAO that that's my title. In reality, I lead the blockchain and business development side of API3, but I, I, I still don't consider that an official title in so much as if the grant, like if the grant elapses, once my we do rolling three-monthly grants for, um, yeah. for people who want to contract for the DAO. In theory, once that three-monthly period is gone, I, I don't have a position. So and that's the difference from DAOs to normal companies as well. Like everything has to be done trustlessly. It creates real-time feedback loop. And uh, a, one of the biggest problems in, in tech, I was actually at a, at a, at a talk last night with a, a therapist who was, who was on stage and she talked about this. Eight out of 10 uh, uh, folks who work in tech, it's not a, it's not, there's no gender bias or, or anything with, you know, it's just like eight out of 10 people in tech Uh, or really anything that interfaces with tech suffer from like imposter syndrome, which is the belief that you're not good enough for where you are at that moment, or you don't believe that anything you've done or you're in, you know, you don't deserve to where you are. And this leads, especially in the COVID world, where we moved to very remote, we didn't have, you know, constant feedback loop from other people that we were doing the right thing. This led to, to, to very bad cases of suicide, depression, um, a lot of people, myself included, friends and family. You know, so you you look at, I think that being able to have uh, that constant network of people uh, through DAOs that you're talking about just in your organization where you work, 
uh, actually can promote uh, that betterness of like, hey, you belong here. You're not an imposter. And I think that's a very nice thing. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think imposter syndrome is pretty real, especially in blockchain, because people come from lots of different backgrounds. And if they have enough knowledge, blockchain is, is generally very meritocratic. So if you can come to a project and add value, then you can generally work there. And But you might still feel like, like you don't quite deserve to be there. And that can persist for, for a long time, yeah. for years. So it's a good thing to mention, I think. I mean, I've been in blockchain. So I got into blockchain with Dogecoin in 2013, but I've been working in blockchain really since 2018. Um, and yeah, even I still sometimes feel a bit of imposter syndrome sometimes. So. You, me, and pretty much everyone else. I think that's why going to these, um, when Bitcoin Miami finally relaunched again, and now you have NFT NYC next week, and you have conferences that are, you know, as as uh, as most of the, the, you know, you still have to kind of, there's a lot of COVID precautions, but people are still willing to do it just because that face-to-face interaction. I mean, I'll be honest with you, like, I kind of miss being able to, you know, I kind of miss now it's, it's a different world, but you miss sometimes, you know, you're the, the, the people that love you are the ones that honest, that are honest with you. But during COVID, we surrounded ourselves with people that just tell us what we want to hear. And so it's nice to, to have those honest people tell you something that you didn't want to hear about yourself that may or may not be true, but at least, you know, it, it gives you an outside perspective of honesty and you know who your real friends are. It's a really great thing. So thank you to those people who are always telling me I'm an idiot because it's important. <laughs> Dave, yeah, I, I think I need that sometimes. Thank um, you so much for coming on Untold Stories. Yeah, it does. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time today. Beautiful morning. And we're going to have a great show this week and, and the listeners uh, will have learned, oh my God, so much from today about so many different subjects. So thank you. And I hope the DAO allows you to come back on the show. Uh, in, in, Thank in, you very in much, Charlie. Thanks for having now. me. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to listening to this and, and carrying on being a listener. I'll see Bye. you later.